Welcome to the Ralph Moore Podcast. Gain a leadership advantage as Ralph pulls wisdom from his bag of over 50 years' experience in planting and leading multiplying churches. Our goal is to help you live as a leader you'd want to follow. You'll learn about making disciples and planting churches, but beyond that, you'll gain practical wisdom about subjects like how to manage your team, handling difficult people, pulling a congregation off a growth plateau, and even money management. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Today I want to talk about liberating finances when planting churches. What do I mean by that? Well, money is a big driver of just about everything that we do, and especially in that of planting churches. You know, I hear stories of huge investments, a couple hundred thousand dollars going into church plants, and, and then even some bad stories of a guy who stays in town until the money runs out and then blows town because he really doesn't have any options. And, you know, it's easy to look with disdain on a person like that, but maybe they just really didn't have any options. Money can be a horrible taskmaster. We want to defang the monster of money when planting churches. I'm thinking about this whole idea of, of what we're calling micro-bible, that we would think of planting micro-churches with an intentionally bivocational or freelance pastor. Uh, by this, I mean a pastor who is recognized as an elder in a local church, who's capable of handling the word of shepherding people, and has a career. Maybe they're a plumber, maybe they're a carpenter, maybe they're a lawyer, maybe they're a medical doctor. I've seen all of them do this thing and do it very, very well. Uh, I've seen them be bivocational in that they receive a salary from the church that they plant, and they receive, of course, the salary that they get from their career. But I've also seen uh, an upsurge in this whole idea of I don't really need a salary from the church because I have a career that maintains my family, maintains my lifestyle. I'm doing very well. Thank you. Then the idea of starting a micro church is that I recognize the fact that I'm pastoring a middle class homogeneous church. People like to be with people like them. So people who come from different subcultures in America, maybe an immigrant culture, maybe some culture that's kind of built around special interests, that those people might not fit in the church that I pastor. But here's a person who kind of fits in both worlds. And so I'm going to commission this person to go out and start what will at least begin as a microchurch. By that, I mean a church that maybe the intention is never to get over 20 people. However, that church may grow to 30, 35, 50, 300, 400 people over time. And then you got a whole other set of problems and money becomes an issue at that point. But at the point that we're doing the, the micro Bible deal, money really is no issue at all. As we get into this, I want to look at several places where there's money saved or the money problem goes away or that we're liberating the finances of the people involved. And we start out with the sending church. It just really costs no money for the sending church to launch somebody in this fashion. That's number one. Number two is the new church. The new church has none of the traditional costs that are associated with launching churches. There's no educational cost because discipleship goes on from within the sending church, and the new church doesn't have to deal with that. Nobody had to deal with that cost. Uh, there is no salary involved or very little salary involved. I, again, we've liberated the finances of this church, so it's able to invest in other ministries and outreaches that wouldn't be possible if we had high overhead. And then 
if you meet in a house or you meet in a park or you meet in a restaurant, you're not paying any rent. So these are the traditional costs of church, the main cost centers, pastor's education, pastor's salary, and rent or mortgage. And so the number two thing is that the new church has its finances liberated. So the sending church has liberated finances. The newly planted church has liberated finances. The church planter is number three. They have liberated finances. First, they're not having to take time out of their life to go and obtain an education. There's all kinds of costs associated with the way that we traditionally educate pastors. There's the cost of tuition, of course. There's the cost of living in another city when maybe you had a housing arrangement that worked really well where you were. There's the cost of disrupting your employment and perhaps taking a lesser job if you can even work at all, depending upon your, your class load. Then there's this other tax that a pastor engages, and that is that you could have got an education that would allow you to make a lot of money if you became an engineer, you became an attorney or whatever else. Instead, you learned how to be a pastor, and that's my story. I went to a Bible college for four years. I went to graduate school for three years, and I learned how to either be a pastor or a life insurance salesman, not much else. And so there's that cost that is eliminated from the church planter. Along with this, the liberation of the finances of the church planter is the fact that you have a good salary because you have a career. You're starting something that's not disrupting your life totally. Uh, you're able to delegate responsibility to other people in church so it's not overwhelming you. You're able to maintain your job, your salary, your benefits package. You're going to be able to take your wife to Europe on your 25th wedding anniversary. Your kids can go to school. All of these things accrue to the pastor who launches as a bivocational, intentionally bivocational pastor. There's liberation here. There's then the freedom to quit your job if the church should outgrow you. I know many situations where people have started out in a microchurch and eventually it just grew and it grew and it grew. And of course, along the way, what we'd really like to do is multiply churches at a rapid clip. But sometimes the circumstance is such that you're just overwhelmed with numerical growth and it catches you and you have to think about leaving your job. But again, your finances are liberated in that you have a choice in the matter. You're not being driven to a bivocational role because you ran out of money. You're in a situation where you got too many people and the money that comes with them, and you have the choice to make, and, and you make it on your own terms, or at least on the Lord's terms. And finally, there is the future church. The church that grows out of the new church plant also has its finances liberated. First, it's free to invest money heavily in outreach, in helping people with poverty and meeting needs in different ways in the community. Then after that, if it begins to grow and look like it's going to have to become a freestanding legacy church, then it's in a situation where it can begin to amass money toward that day when it's going to have to take on the overhead of paying a pastor and perhaps paying a building rent or whatever is out there. The last part about this in terms of the future church is that the sending church is able to amass monies that it would normally invest in a church plant and hold on to those monies until such time that one or two or three or four churches 
begin to outgrow themselves. And now they're in a situation where adding money to that church would really be more beneficial than giving money in a startup situation. As I think about this, what I'm really thinking about is that we really need to get pragmatic. You know, very few churches ever plant churches. We know that a decade ago, 4% of the churches in the United States had ever planted a church. And we know that among those, almost half had come from church splits. Now, this is a very interesting thing because a church split sometimes involves somebody who has come the seminary route, but quite often a church split is built around a charismatic leader inside of a local church who doesn't get along with the pastor and off they go. So you're dealing with this micro Bible thing, or maybe not so micro, but you've got the bivocational pastor who is going places out of the gate. So we've seen that there's track record, both in a positive sense for people intentionally doing this, in a negative sense in terms of the church split. But the good news is that right now we're up to about 7%, and I would really lay all this at the door of exponential, that these people have changed the scorecard, raised the bar, 7% of churches in the United States now have planted another church. That's a wonderful thing. But when I talk to people who are hesitant, who come to the, some of the exponential events that I get to participate in, and they would like to start a church, but the thing that holds them back is money issues. And I'm talking about the sending churches, the church that has people on deck that they could send. They have vision for it. They have everything in place, but money is an issue. And so we really need to think about conquering the money monster if we're going to go ahead and engage the fields that are white unto harvest. As we are praying for the Lord to raise up labor for the harvest, we need to be thinking about provisioning that labor with the tools, the equipment that they need, and money obviously comes into that picture. The things that I've suggested here, that we eliminate the cost of rent, the cost of salary, the cost of education by training pastors from within a church, and then that we intentionally send bivocational pastors to start microchurches would allow for rapid multiplication of the church. Many of those churches would be in position to multiply others very quickly. Small churches tend to do that better than larger churches. On the other hand, if they grow and some will grow, we're going to find that more is better than bigger. As we conclude this, I want to talk about a couple of scriptures that are very, very important to me, and I hope that they're important to you. The first one is in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, where it says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. My goodness, I can remember many times when, as a pastor, I was leading what would appear to people around as a very prosperous thriving congregation. I was leading it with an attitude of just serving money. I was living in fear. I can remember a time when uh, we had begun to raise money for a building and we had invested a substantial amount of money into a fundraising banquet and it looked like we weren't going to come up with enough people to even pay for the cost of the banquet, let alone raise money for the building. And at the same time, we were sponsoring a conference for pastors to come in from Japan to Hawaii. We had about 80 pastors who came on this thing, and we weren't sure we were going to make budget on that. I was every day of my life just praying about money, praying about money. Now, I was praying to the Lord, 
But really, I was serving money in that situation. I was desperately praying to the Lord, but I was desperately praying about money the whole time. The money monster had a hold of me. So when I take this kind of thinking and I move it over to the area of church planting, what I want to do is eliminate the money monster and the hold that it has on me. The last thing we want to do is find ourselves held back from ministry potential, the potential to plant and reproduce churches because money has us to the point that we're almost worshiping it. It's the only thing that we can think about. We go to bed thinking about it. We wake up thinking about it. We're praying about it all the time. We want to get out from under that curse. As I look at this, I see that this constant worry and attention to raising money is one issue. Second issue is that we're unable to succeed due to pressing finances. Now, this is just a little different than the one that I just talked about. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus said, Which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. The saddest stories that I hear are those of people who tried to do something great for the Lord, failed, and then pulled back entirely from ministry. You know, I graduated from a Bible college and maintained contact with a lot of people that were in my graduating class. And I look around, about 80% of those people that graduated with us, not who started the thing, but who graduated with us, have dropped out of any kind of vocational ministry. To me, that's a travesty. And, and I don't really hold those people so responsible for this as I hold the system that we're all a part of responsible. We set out to do something quite often underfunded. Sometimes we're a poor fit for a community and it's not easy for us to pack up and move on because somebody's invested a lot of money in us. Either way, underfunded, overfunded, funded in a way that's not quite appropriate to the people that we're trying to reach, we end up with this disaster of I failed. I failed and I drew back and I got to go find something else that I can do for the rest of my life. These people live in a certain amount of defeat, a certain amount of guilt. And of course, the harvest is not being gathered into barns because there aren't enough barns and there aren't enough harvesters. So as we pray for the Lord of the harvest to raise up labor for the harvest, we should be praying about raising up labor within our churches. We should be making disciples with an end in mind that we are going to multiply churches as we reproduce ourselves as leaders. And we're not going to see money as the monster that controls us and holds us back from the thing that the Lord would have us do. I remember the day that I thought that I was going to quit the ministry. I came up in a time when if you failed at a church, you're done. It's just over. And also, I came up in a time when they weren't putting a lot of money into new church plants. And my wife and I planted a church in Manhattan Beach, California in 1971. We eventually moved to Hermosa Beach. So you'll hear me talk about Hope Chapel Hermosa from time to time. But as we got started, we did the whole thing with pretty much our own money. We got enough money from our denomination to cover about three quarters of the rent in our apartment. And we only got that for four months. The rest was the money that we had saved to buy a house. We actually had enough money for a down payment on a pretty significant house. And we went through that in about two months. I recall the day that my wife and I took our children up to the bank and we took all the money out of the savings account and closed it, put it into the checking account. 
she'd already written checks to pay the bills and we're basically down to nothing. On the way home, we bought our children each an ice cream cone, but we couldn't afford to buy an ice cream cone for ourselves. We had walked to the bank that day. It was a Monday. And I can remember Monday evening, I had a meeting at my house about seven o'clock. And so I ate dinner. And as I was finished dinner, I just went into the bedroom and laid on the bed and tried to calm my mind because I was so worried. And as I was laying there, I was thinking about, oh, this is the end of it. I wonder if my dad would allow me to come and just live in his basement. They had a large furnished basement. I was thinking I'm going to move my family from where I live in California back to Portland, where I grew up in defeat. I'm going to have to face all the people in the church that sent me out with, you know, such joy and such hope. And I'm going to be embarrassed for pretty much the rest of my life. And then I'm going to have to figure out what I can do to earn a living for my family. And the first thing that came to my mind, probably naively, but the first thing that came to my mind was that I could get a job selling used cars. And we all know that selling used cars sometimes can involve dishonesty. And so I was thinking about that. It was a distaste there. And I remember as I'm laying there and praying and kind of weeping, actually, tears and, and having all these horrible thoughts that I felt like the Lord spoke to me in an almost audible way. It was King James English because that's what I was reading in those days. It was a reminder of the scripture where Paul says, I've learned to abase and I've learned to abound. In other words, I've learned to get by with very little and then I've learned to get by with a lot. I felt like the Lord whispered in my ear and says, I've taught you to abase and now I'm going to teach you to abound. Those were the words that I heard. And as I progressed in my life the next few days, it began to rain money. This was a Monday. On Tuesday, I thought I had a word from the Lord, but I was still desperate. On Wednesday, I went to a local Bible college and taught a class for them, excited that they're going to pay me something, and they didn't. They didn't even cover gas money, and for me, it was you know a tank full of gas. It was a pretty far drive, and I was really sweating things. I come home, and as I'm pulling in the driveway, my wife leans over the balcony of our apartment and says, we got a surprise in the mail. And I was so confident that the Lord had spoken to me. My response was, how much? It turned out there were two checks that pretty much would pay our rent for three months, those two checks. Later on, I went to the church office. There's another check there from a guy who wasn't even walking with the Lord, but his kids were part of our church. And in fact, I thought that he was kind of down on the church because he didn't want his kids there. And here's a big fat check from this guy. And things turned around for us from that point. It was really an amazing thing. Our finances slowly began to come in. I began to get regular paychecks. This was a really wonderful thing. But, you know, I'm not so sure that I want to put other people through the torture that I went through to get to the place where the miracle was. Thank God for the miracle. And I expect God to do miracles. And I expect God to put our back to the wall and then bless us in some wonderful ways. All of those things are very real and very much a part of my life, and I want them for other people. But on the other hand, if I can do anything to protect people from having to go through the hurt that I went through at that time, then I want to do that. And if that means that we change our method of church planting, my method of church planting has always been built around sending a sizable group of people from our congregation with a recognized leader and then funding them for the first six months on a sliding scale. That has mostly worked very well. We've been very good at starting mid-sized churches, and most of them have succeeded. We've had very, very few failures. But boy, there have been some tense times. 
And if I can take this micro Bible thing that seems to be something that the Lord is putting on the church in the United States, and I can work it in a way that I'm going to raise up labor for the harvest from within our church, I'm going to see them not need a lot of funding, not bow to the money God mammon, and be able to live a good life because that's what the Lord really wants for his people, I believe, and be able to almost guarantee success. And by success, I mean that the church will minister to people in longevity, then I'm going to do it. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and check his blog at ralphmoore.net.